but we are in the middle of our Reconsidering Christianity series with Hunter Bible Church and kind of exploring the concept of who Jesus is and why we could reconsider him for our lives. So we've looked at topics like Bible reliability and the, uh, the influence of Jesus on our society and how Jesus gives us meaning and purpose. Um, and of course, those are really heavy topics and they raise a lot of questions. Um, and so, yeah, we're here with Greg and we're hoping to explore the answers of some of those questions. So mm. are yeah. you ready, Greg? Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. yeah, that'll be good. All right. So we've got some left over from our Q&A on Sunday. Um, so, Greg, I'm just going to dive in there. Is it selfish of God to create us to worship him? That's a really great question. Um, because it would be selfish of us to create something to worship us. So that's one of the things that, um, that parents sometimes do with their children. You know, you have a child in order that this child will fulfill all of your selfish dreams. Mm. Uh, and, um, and so if we were to do it, um, then it would actually be selfish because we are not that worshipable. We're not that worthy of worship. Um, but God is a different thing altogether. So God actually is perfect. Um, and God is good and right and noble. And so the most right thing to do with God is actually to worship him. So that's why whenever you come across people in the Bible, whenever angels uh, get worshipped by people, so, you know, people will be in awe and they'll bow down. They'll go, no, 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 don't be worshipping me. I'm just an angel. Um, whereas with God, it makes perfect sense to worship him because he is perfect in every way. Mm. And so when human beings, in, for God to create human beings to worship him, he's actually doing exactly the right thing, the mm. most proper thing. What's obscene is if God is not worshipped. Um, it's a little bit like, um, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've ever been to an art gallery and seen an amazing painting. Like the, the, you know, that really extraordinary knock your socks off kind of painting. I think probably the closest I've ever been, I've never been to the Louvre or anything like that, but the closest I've ever been was this incredible Brett Whiteley painting. And I remember just standing in front of it and wanting to say to the person next to me, how good is that? Mm -hmm. But they actually just went, eh, and walked away. And I was like, man, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> um, when something is so worthy of adoration, it's wrong that it not be adored. And so for God to create beings to worship him is right in a way that it would be so wrong for us to do. Mm. So it's all about worthiness. Yeah, about how we're, we're so different from God. Mm. And I, that's kind of hard for us to grasp, I think. Um, well, kind of on a similar vein of thought, um, you kind of talked on Sunday about how we are you know, going to worship God in eternity. Mm. Doesn't that sound a bit boring <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. it's not really yeah, our yeah. idea of heaven that we think about yeah. you know <laughs> well yeah especially the the idea of heaven that we've grown up with uh, or that often kind of gets peddled is uh, heaven is where you get to fulfill all of your dreams mm. and so i remember a friend of mine uh, who was a real kind of cricket fanatic uh, he would talk about heaven for him would be eternally it's the last ball of the day and the bowler comes in and bowls the ball and he hits the ball for six to score his hundred on the last ball of the day. And he's like, I could just do that for all eternity. Just on repeat. Yeah. Uh -huh. And of course, the question is, does that mean that the bowler is in hell? 
Because yeah. uh, <laughs> he's clearly not enjoying it. Um, and so we have this sense that heaven is where all of my selfish dreams come true. Um, but right the way through, cre- uh, through the Bible, you see that the goal of creation is relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so God creates us to have relationship with him. He creates us to have relationship with each other. And he creates us to have a relationship with the creation itself. Um, and what sin does is destroy all three. Mm-hmm. So it makes us enemies of God. It puts barriers between us. Uh, and it also means that we begin to disrespect the creation. Instead of looking after the garden, we begin to, um, to abuse it and mistreat it. Um, it makes sense then that heaven won't be all of my selfish dreams come true, but the same kind of big ideas you see in the garden itself of heaven is where I have this perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with, um, with other people, and a perfect relationship to the creation. Um, and so, no, I don't think we'll be bored at all. I think we'll feel entirely fulfilled. Mm-hmm. We'll, I think in heaven, I actually think heaven will be a lot like, uh, physically, a lot like earth. Yeah, okay. Because um, when, when you think about it in Genesis, when God makes the world, he doesn't say, well, it's a good start, but heaven will be better. Mm-hmm. He says, this is good. And when he finishes, he says, it's very good. Um, and what's wrong with this creation isn't the mountains and the seas. Uh, what's wrong with this creation is sin. And so I think the next creation, which the Bible uses as the shorthand for heaven, but it's a new heavens and a new earth, I think it'll be a lot like this one. Yeah. But just without everything that makes this one bad. Yeah. Um, oh. So I think there'll be trees and I think there'll be animals. I don't think there'll be the same animals. I'm not expecting my dog to be in heaven because oh, I don't think really? he's going to inherit heaven. <laughs> but I think there'll be dogs there. There'll oh, yeah. be things for us to rule over. Yep. Um, and uh, maybe the dogs will clean up their own poo in heaven. <laughs> 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 um, um, but yeah, it'll be, I, th- I think heaven will be a lot like this creation, but without all of the things that make this creation painful. Um, and we'll enjoy the, the creation and we'll enjoy, we'll have this sense of closeness to the God who has given it to us mm. in a way that we don't now. Yeah. Um, so in Genesis 3, uh, Genesis 3, 3 yeah. Uh, God walks in the garden in the cool of the evening and you get this sense of there's this close intimate relationship with Adam and Eve which is broken. Um, heaven will be this beautiful intimacy mm. with God but also with each other and also an enjoyment of the creation. Uh, I think it sounds great. <laughs> not boring at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not at all like the, what is it, the, the Philadelphia cream cheese ad where everyone's there and they're all wearing white with oh, harps right. and, you know, yes. which is essentially just, just Greek mythology that but yes. yeah yes. yeah oh great um, well if you're on Instagram and we've kind of raised some more questions for you feel free to shoot them through um, and we will try and get them answered so yeah no question is too silly or too obscure <laughs> that's right the, um, answer, <laughs> the answers will get sillier and sillier yeah. as we go on <laughs> um, alright well Greg, if God's real, why doesn't he deal with the suffering in the world and in my life? I guess you just answered that we'll see that gone in heaven. Um, but yeah, why, why do we still experience that now? Yeah, that's a great question. And we're actually, we're doing a whole talk on it this coming Sunday. Huh. So this Sunday's talk is, um, doesn't, essentially, doesn't suffering disprove the idea of God? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, rather than answer it in two minutes badly, yeah. I'll say, come along and I'll answer it in half an hour really well. I'm doing the talk at uh, new, the two talks that uh, Newey and Richard Swetman is doing, the one at Lake and the one at Uni Church, uh, which means the Lake and Uni Church is the place to be. Richard's very <laughs> thoughtful. Um, but yeah, we're actually going to deal with that question um, well. And, and uh, uh, as I deal with it, I'm going to raise a question of, well, um, does atheism have any answers? Or what about karma? Because I think karma now is where people kind of view, uh, it's a pretty common view of the world. We don't necessarily do it in the way the Hindus thought of karma, but the idea of what goes around comes around mm. is pretty big. So we're going to explore that. And then we're going to look at how the Bible speaks about suffering. Mm. So yeah, come along on Sunday yeah, is the answer that. should that. be good. Um, yeah. All right. Um, this is kind of a, it kind of assumes that we're all on the same page with God deciding who goes to heaven and who doesn't. So with that kind of lens, if God decides who goes to heaven before they're born, then what's the point of trying to get people to follow Jesus? That is a great question. Um, because the Bible does talk about God choosing. So we haven't, haven't yet looked at... Um, uh, we haven't yet read any part of the Bible. I've talked about it a bit, but um, uh, Dan, if you can, you might want to get Ephesians chapter 1 up onto the screen. Um, verse 3, uh, Paul is talking to Christians and he says, uh, Ephesians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him, that is in Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Um, so there's two really strong statements there, isn't there, about God um, choosing people. In verse 4, uh, he chose people before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So not just before I was born, but before anything existed. Mm -hmm. And then in verse four, um, verse five, sorry, he predestined us for sonship, to adoption to sonship. Um, and so again, before I was born, before the creation of the world, God chose who his children would be. And it actually raises a really good question then of, um, if this is the case, why, um, why would I try to tell people about Jesus mm. when surely God's got it all in hand? Um, God will just make people um, become Christians. Uh, two passages. Uh, one uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, I think, is really helpful. Verse 2, although verse 4 is where we kind of really land. Verse 2, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. So we know we're dealing with Christians because we can see that in verses 2 and 3. And Paul says, we know that God chose you. Wow, 
How is it that Paul can know that God has chosen people? Well, verse 5, it's because when the gospel came to them, it didn't bounce off them as just words. It actually it came to them with power. Uh, the Holy Spirit gave them deep conviction. Um, and that is, in God's plans, in God's economy, yes, he has chosen people, but he's also chosen that the way people will come to faith is through hearing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not that God went before the creation of the world, right, Josel, she's going to be one of mine, and I'm just going to zap her at the age of, what were you, 19? Yeah. There you go, 19 when you became a Christian. Um, and all of a sudden you woke up on your 19th birthday and you went, well, I believe. Um, that's just not how God has ordered the world. The way God has ordered the world is that people come to faith, the people he's chosen come to faith through the hearing of the gospel, mm-hmm. which is brilliant for us because what that means is that in 1 Corinthians 3, we're God's fellow workers. We have this enormous privilege of being used by God to bring about his purposes. And he doesn't have to do that. Mm. There's a passage in, um, in Revelation, I think it's Revelation 14, where angels circle the earth proclaiming the gospel. God could have brought people to faith through that yeah. if he wanted to. Yeah. He could have just zapped people if he wanted to. But in his kindness, he brings people to faith through the hearing of the gospel, which means rather than going, oh, does that mean I have to tell people about Jesus? We go, wow, I get to be someone who God uses to bring people to faith. Mm. Um, And in fact, this is the next passage, the last point. Um, This is the thing that gives us immense confidence. So Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12, Philippians 2, verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Often we think, if God is doing something, why would I do it too? Mm. Um, If God is going to bring people to faith, why would I try and bring people to faith? Um, Paul uses exactly the opposite logic to that here. So in verse 12, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, complete it, finish it off, take it to its natural end point. Um, Keep living as a Christian. Why? Because in verse 13, God is working in you to fulfill his good purpose. The fact that God is doing things, the fact that God has chosen people, the fact that God's given me his Holy Spirit, rather than making me go, well, I guess I don't need to do anything, Mm. actually means, wow, I've got all the reason in the world now to act. Um, If it was entirely up to me to bring people to faith, I would never even begin. Because how can I convince people? Mm. But knowing that God has chosen people in Nui and Lake Mac, chosen before the creation of the world, means that I go, you know, those people are out there. Mm. I've just got to find them. And in Thessalonians chapter 1, I've just got to tell them the gospel. And if God's chosen them, then the Spirit will work in them with great power and deep conviction and they'll come to faith. Um, That, for me, is absolutely the best news in the world. Mm. Um, Without God choosing, 
like I say, I don't think we'd ever get off the starting blocks. Yeah, yeah. That's like encouraging, mm. um, like very comforting mm. as well as a challenge, I suppose. Yeah, and yeah. as a Christian as well, um, what, what hope have I got of staying Christian for the rest of my life? Um, if it was up to me, mm. I know how wayward my faith is. I know how susceptible I am uh, to temptation and to sin. Um, there is every chance that I would muck it up between now and the end of my life, that I'd throw in my faith, and not just through sin, but also through things like depression or illness. You know, mm. that I'm so not in control of the world. The idea that God has chosen me and will hold me, that God is working in me to fulfill his good purposes, again, that's what gives me confidence that I'll stay Christian because yeah. it was never up to me in the first place. Yeah. Um, this is one of those, I was chatting with Richard Sweatman about this the other day. Um, this is one of those signs of maturity. Um, one of the ways you can spot the mature Christian is because they love predestination. Mm. Um, they, are, they can see what a beautiful doctrine it is. Yeah. And I think Richard's right about that. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. It's a, it's a challenging doctrine though, mm. for sure. Yeah, because it means that I'm not in control. Mm. Um, and... I'd love to think that I'm in control. But even the doctrine of sin shows me that I'm not in control. So we like to think of ourselves as being really um, logical and reasonable and rational. And if you place the truth in front of me, of course I'll recognize and I'll follow truth instead of lies. But what the Bible says is we're not logical and reasonable and rational. We're actually slaves to sin. And if you place God in front of me, I will always walk in the opposite direction. Mm. And so if you place God's truth and God's commands in front of me, I will always walk in the opposite direction because there is this urging, this sinful nature within me. In other words, without God, I haven't got a hope of becoming a Christian. Mm. I, couldn't, I can't turn back to God by myself. Uh, what I need is for the Holy Spirit to enable me to do it. And my choice will be real. I will actually choose to investigate the evidence but i'll only do that because the spirit enables me to yeah and so yeah we uh predestination is challenging because we're not in control until you realize we're not in control anyway ah mm. <laughs> 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 oh, it's true it's not it's not an easy truth to hear mm. but it's true so i guess it's a question that kind of is related to that in so if we say we're confronted with the truth of jesus and we're like yes that sounds legitimate, but I'm going to have to give up so much in my life. Mm. Why not wait just till the end of your life to become a Christian? You know, you get to live yeah. it up now and then still get into heaven. Yeah, yeah. That's such a, uh, <laughs> it's such a great question in the sense that it's exactly what my father uh, said all the way through his life. I think there are two answers to that. One, um, with all due respect to the person who asked it, my guess is they've never seen someone die. Um, because on your deathbed, almost the last thing you're thinking about is um, going to heaven. Mm. Like we like to think that romantically that's going to be the case. Mm -hmm. But on your deathbed, by and large, you're doped to the gills. You're barely even conscious. You're in immense pain. Um, you're... People don't often do deathbed confessions mm -hmm. because, um, like I say, you're dealing with enormous things. Half the time you've got 
um, wires and tubes coming out of you. Um, and alongside that, having spent a lifetime saying no to God, mm. what makes me think that on my deathbed I would suddenly be able to say yes? Mm. I've trained myself for, I'm 50 now, I've trained myself for 50 years. Why would I suddenly be able to turn around on my deathbed? Mm. And so the first part, the first answer to this is um, deathbed confessions are much rarer than we think. Uh, or deathbed conversion, sorry. Um, the second thing is, um, the assumption behind that is that Christianity is all sacrifice and doom and gloom. And so you put off that for the latest, till the latest time possible. It's almost like repaying your credit card. You know, I'm gonna, I've got to repay my credit card, so when will I do it? On the 30th day of the month, because <laughs> who wants to do it any earlier than that? Um, what if God is a really good father and what if he really loves us? And what if actually the best, happiest way I could ever live mm. is with him in my life? That's what the Bible teaches. And if that's the case, the only person I'm hurting by waiting is me. Mm. Uh, well, and the people around me, as I keep sinning. But um, all I'm doing is hurting myself mm. by waiting. Um, and so I'd want to say... Trust that God is good. Trust that he loves you. Trust that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he has good works prepared in advance for you to do. He wants to bless you. Uh, he wants to repair your relationships. I mean, think about the, the fruit of the Spirit. When you become a Christian, God gives you the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Who doesn't want that in their life? Mm. Um, and so... Alongside the fact that deathbed confessions don't assume you, uh, con uh, conversions don't assume you will actually have one, this is something you want to do as early as you can, not as late as you can. Yeah. And so don't put it off. Yeah. Uh, we'd all like to hear you sing the Fruits of the Spirit song. <laughs> is there a Fruits of the Spirit song? I think so. It's like Colin, isn't it? I is there? <laughs> yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Has that happened since my children grew up? <laughs> it's extraordinary. I mean, I personally am not going to sing it. No one wants to hear that. No one wants yeah. to hear that. Um, well, maybe we'll do one final question. Mm. So, Greg, if, you know, if we're living for Jesus um, and we want everything to be for his glory um, and that's what's going to matter at the end, um, how... That's quite an abstract concept. Mm. How do we, how do we wrap our minds around, you know, glorifying Jesus in our everyday lives? It's a great question. Someone actually asked it at PM as well. Um, and it's, on Saturday night, I got to go to England, the world we live in. I was preaching in England via Zoom, uh, and I did uh, Revelation four and five. And in the question time, someone said, um, uh, "Can you help me put some flesh on this?" when it comes to Monday morning. And we said, yeah, well, okay, let's, let's dig into that. Um, because the idea that I'm living for someone's, uh, for Jesus' glory at one level could feel a little bit abstract. Mm. Um, so uh, what we're talking about there is the intent, the purpose, the goal that I want to achieve for my life is to maximize Jesus' glory. What would that look like on... Um, so tomorrow is Thursday, on a Thursday morning. Well, it means when I wake up, um, I've got a very clear sense of who owns me. 
So the person who doesn't know Jesus says, I own myself and my goal today is to be true to myself. The person who um, knows Jesus wakes up and says, okay, my purpose today is to bring glory to Jesus, which means that at every point that I have a choice, I'm going to choose to obey him. Mm. And that's going to be visible in a whole stack of ways. It's going to be visible uh, in the way that I drive. It's going to be visible in the time I arrive at work. Uh, it's going to be observable in the way that I work. Mm. Um, it's going to be observable in the way that I treat all of my colleagues and co-workers and in the way I treat the person at work who's making my job hard. They're going to see that I'm different um, because I'm trying to please Jesus. And sometimes they won't actually like it because they won't want me to please Jesus. So when my boss says, what I'd really like you to do is be dishonest there and overcharge that customer, I'll go, mm. no, I'm not going to do that. Mm. Um, I'm going to keep my integrity and choose to obey my Lord over my boss. Um, and so there's before lunch, there's 20 different ways that the person who is wanting to bring glory to Jesus will live differently because it's going to shape, like I say, their driving and their work and all of those things. Um, it'll shape the reason they have a job in the first place. Mm -hmm. So uh, people have jobs for lots of different reasons. Sometimes it's for prestige. I get the best job I can. Sometimes it's for um, wealth. I want to earn as much money as I can. Sometimes it's for challenge. Sometimes it's to give me a lifestyle that I'm after. Um, there's all these different things that people have jobs for. Christians will have jobs for, one, to put food on the table in a way that's honest. Two, to try and do good to the world, which means that, uh, and to be a, a good influence in the world, which means that there are some jobs that we would just go, I'm not interested in doing that. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't, it won't do anyone any good. And three, to tell people about Jesus. And so what that means is the Christian goes to work, again, with a completely different set of motives. Mm. Um, what it means is, even if the word Jesus doesn't come out of their mouth tomorrow, it leaks out of every single action that they do. Mm. Um, and I think often Christians, when they ask this question, it's because they've been doing this for so long, they've forgotten how different they are. Yeah. Um, they've been thinking, they've been living for Jesus for so long that they kind of go, oh, this is just normal. There must be something that I'm missing. Mm. No, they're not missing anything. Just keep looking to obey Jesus, talk about Jesus, live for him, enjoy him, serve him, tell people about him. Um, you keep doing that and your life will look so radically different mm. to the rest of the world. Um, it's different in its motives, it's different in its means, it's different in the end that it comes to as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. helpful. It's um, like, I guess, choosing Jesus in all of those small mundane choices in our life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, thank you, Instagram, for joining us tonight. Um, yeah, we have enjoyed our time answering your questions. Um, if you have any more, um, we encourage you to come to church, ask your growth group leader, ask your Christian friend. Um, yeah, that would be great. Um, and we would love t for you to join us on Sunday to hear about, I guess, the question of suffering mm -hmm. and Jesus' answer to that. Uh, but also for Easter, we'd love to celebrate that with you. Um, and you can find all of those details on our website. Um, and good night. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. <laughs>